Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibulani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Laura Turner. Laura is currently the Executive Director of the Health Professional Student Association, which is an organization dedicated to improving the availability of healthcare resources in underserved communities in the United States. She also has been the longtime executive director of the Student Doctor Network, which most of our audience is probably familiar with, in that when they were applying to medical school or any other type of health professional school, it's one of the most popular resources to learn more about that path. We have at Osmosis have worked with SDN to create several videos on the process of applying to medical school as well. And so uh, with that, Laura, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and talk a little bit about Student Doctor Network and what uh, Health Professional Student Association is doing. So, yeah, with that, I'd love to hear more about your background. You know, obviously, you've, you've been at the head of SDN for some years, but for our audience, this is probably the first time they're meeting the person who runs SDN. So would love to hear more about what got you into this career. Sure, sure. So my background is in software development. I worked almost all my career in various companies doing different software development tasks, not really from the programming side of things, but really more of the product management, project management side, trying to come up with solutions for problems using systems or software. So I've worked at a financial services company and I worked at a ticketing company, a number of different places. And then I had the opportunity about 10 years ago to join Student Doctor Network and try and work on some of the systems and come up with solutions to help folks who were in their processes of trying to apply to health professional schools. So medical school, dental school, veterinary school, optometry school, all those different areas. So a lot has changed over the last decade, as, as I'm sure uh, you guys have experienced. And even before we get into COVID, we'd love to hear any of the uh, opportunities and challenges that you have faced while leaving SDN over the past decade. Well, I think there's been a lot of change. SDN is over 20 years old now. So when it was originally founded 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of information available on the internet to guide people as they were applying to medical school or dental school. There weren't really websites like the AAMC has now that kind of walk you through the whole process. And it was designed to create a clearinghouse of information. So especially for folks who either didn't have any, any advising resources at their school or for non-traditional students, students who were coming at it later in life and no longer had access to college advising. So that was the original genesis of it. And the forums were originally created kind of as a sideline. It wasn't planned to be the main part of the website. It was just going, just a community that was being created to help people out and let people interact and talk about their experiences. But it ended up becoming the main thing that people associate Student Doctor Network with is the forums and the discussions that are there. So it's been interesting. I mean, obviously, the internet has changed somewhat over 20 years. There's a lot more information out there. It's a little different now, too, with social media, and there's lots of other sources of information as well. But we still offer the community, and we also have continued to expand resources available for students who are trying to get through their process of, of getting into school and getting through school. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable how big of a community it's it has become. And even even with all this other information available, people still go to SDN quite a bit. Do you mind sharing any whatever you can share in terms of like size of the community, you know, number of posts, and any metrics you can give to us to give a a sense to our our audience of of how uh, impactful SDN has been. Sure, sure. Well, over the years, we've had hundreds of thousands of people who've joined the site and have been members of the site. Now, usually people use it for a season, you know, the right, that season of their lives when they're in the application process. And there are literally millions of posts. I think we're, if we haven't cleared 20 million, I think there's almost 20 million and somewhere around a million threads, 2 million threads. So there's just a huge number of different posts and threads out there. And the, the community is, is very large and, and still very active. People are, are on the site day and night, you know, talking about their different admissions questions and what life is like as a medical student, all that stuff. So, One thing we've, we've realized at Osmosis over the past decade, and I mean, the AAMC has come out and, and share this information as well, is that there, you know, every year there have been new medical and other health professional schools that have started new cohorts have been added, uh, the class sizes have been expanded. So that's been growing because of the upcoming shortages that have been projected for decades in nursing and dentistry and, and, and medicine as well. Obviously, COVID has exacerbated some of that, and we'll get into that in a second. But I know one of the major focuses of HPSA is to improve the diversity of the healthcare workforce. So I'd love to hear your commentary on on how, if those trends have been keeping up, how do we raise the line, as we call it, and increase healthcare capacity as well? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think that one of the things that we are really passionate about at uh, at HIPSA is increasing access to healthcare admissions for, for all students. So you, like you mentioned, there's all these new schools opening up, but if you look at the, the numbers over the past 15 years or so, there's there's not been any movement in the number of Black students and the number of Hispanic students who are getting admitted. It's it's really been very flat. And, you know, we see that the outcomes that we're seeing with COVID in particular, it's very stark that Black and Latinx communities are getting hit much harder by this. And a lot of that's because they are more likely to be living in a health professional shortage area. So they're more likely to be living somewhere that doesn't have access to health care. And so then you ask the question, well, how do you get more providers to come into a health professional shortage area, whether that's in an urban inner city area or a rural area. And if you look at the data, there's been numerous studies done showing that if someone is from that area, they're much more likely to return to it. So if you're from a rural area, you're much more likely to go back and wanna practice in a rural area. And so, we want to do what we can to drive more students who come from those backgrounds into healthcare professions and help them through that process. You also see a lot of students who are from higher means families, you know, wealthier families are able to get through the admissions process just because it's gotten so competitive and difficult. And that makes it more challenging, I think, for, for folks from more modest backgrounds to get through the admissions process. That's a really interesting and relevant point. We've had two previous guests, at least on, on this podcast, who've talked about, you know, learning in place and how do you, how are you able to recruit students who then stay in that community which they came. One is the dean of NYIT, Dr. Jerry Ballantyne, who New York Institute of Technology actually created a campus in Arkansas just to recruit people in, from that state. And actually students from New York and New Jersey 
can't even apply to the Arkansas campus because their data shows that, you know, they're more likely to go train in Arkansas and then return to New York or New Jersey, where there's already yeah. quite a few health professionals relative to the per capita basis there. And then another one is AT Still University out in Arizona that has a really interesting partnership with community health centers where that's where they do their uh, rotations as third and fourth year medical students as they go to the community health centers and many of them wind up going into family medicine and other primary care fields and staying in those communities where they did their rotations. So what are some of the specific initiatives that HIPSA has done to promote diversity and increase the healthcare capacity? There's a couple of things in particular that I want to talk about. One is we offer on the forums a service called Confidential Consult. So we have, through the Student Doctor Network forums, a panel of experts that we've vetted. We make sure that they are who they say they are. They're folks who are admissions experts and current students as well, just to give a diversity of opinions. And we provide people the way to submit a question. It's anonymous, so their, their question is not attached to their Student Doctor Network identity. And then it gets answered by this panel of experts. And the idea being that it provides folks who wouldn't otherwise have access to advising services to be able to get one-on-one answers to their questions. So they're able to get a diversity of opinions. So you get a number of folks who can who will usually answer the questions, usually more than one person answers the question, and get uh, the information that they need in order to be successful in, in their application process. It's also good for questions where someone has a, a sensitive topic, something that they're not comfortable taking to a pre-health counselor. But the idea is that it's for folks who wouldn't otherwise have access to those types of advising resources. So that's one, one initiative that we have. Another one that we have is our admissions guide series. And we have three of those available right now. It's uh, how to get into dental school, how to get into physical therapy school, and how to get into occupational therapy school. And we have our how to get into optometry school is going to be released later this month. And those are short guides that we offer them as PDF downloads for free that you can walk through the process of what is it like to get into a school. So it, it talks about what are your prerequisites? What are the courses that you need to take? What are the tests that are used for the admission process? What is the interview process like? And it also has a little breakdown on each school. It has a little information like this is more of a rural school or this is a school that has a lot of clinics available, things like that. And so it's really meant to be a, a simple guide that folks can download and use to help move them through the process of getting from, oh, I have an idea that I want to become a dentist, to actually getting through their application, getting the interviews, and getting into school. That's fantastic. I, I was aware of the second, wasn't aware of the, the first, where you're basically helping democratize access to this. Because I know, as you were mentioning, a lot of people who come from higher socioeconomic statuses they can get private you know, tutors and they can get all these people who, who are helping them on their med school or student doctor journeys, as opposed to, you know, kind of what you're doing and democratizing it. So I would love to switch gears to COVID. A lot has changed in COVID and we even launched this podcast as a result of COVID because COVID made clear that our healthcare professionals are heroes. And there is a there are a lot of issues facing them, ranging from burnout to student debt to then this diversity of the workforce itself. So how has COVID impacted HIPSA, Student Doctor Network? We'd love to get your take on, on the effects this year that COVID has had on your organization. 
Well, our organization is, is all virtual. So really our day-to-day operations haven't really changed. What we have seen is, I think it's, it's having a huge impact on students. You know, it's, it's a huge disruption to the admissions process. A lot of students had plans, obviously, this year. They were going to do shadowing. They were going to be doing their volunteering, things like that. And all of that has now been disrupted. You're also seeing a massive, massive jump in the number of people applying to medical school. So it'll be interesting to see how many of those folks were serious applicants prior to COVID and that this is just, you know, a continuation of their plan and how many folks really saw the heroic work that was being done by healthcare providers and were like, I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, there's, there's certainly all the changes with like the MCAT's been shifted, it's been shortened, you know, you still do have to go take it. There's more video interviewing. So I know that's something that folks are having to manage is how do you handle a video interview versus an in-person interview, different experience. So, and, and as well as classes, a lot of classes have changed, shift online, you know, they're not, they're not going to classes in person. So for students, there's been lots and lots of changes. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these changes potentially are going to impact the class of 2025, where the folks are going to be admitted this year. So. Yeah. And I mean, that's consistent with what we've heard too. I know the Wall Street Journal had a report that med school applications year over year have jumped 20% or I think 17 to 20%. And it's, it may even go up higher from there. And obviously the class sizes haven't increased 20%. And so we're going to figure out what, what do people who don't get into school do, especially if shadowing opportunities are no, are not available as, as readily. You know, how do you at SDN or IPSA pick the different fields where you focus, right? Like how'd you pick optometry versus, you know, physical therapy and dentistry and medicine, because there's so many healthcare careers and, you know, you're probably as familiar with the stats as I am that of the 20 fastest growing professions in the U.S., 12 of them are in healthcare, and probably post-COVID, even more of them will be in healthcare. So I'd love to hear how you think about that universe of health professionals where they aren't all becoming you know, student doctors or MDs. They're, some of them become optometrists or doctor of optometry, but how do you pick those fields? Well, historically, Student Doctor Network has always focused on doctoral level graduate healthcare careers. So we're looking at anything that is where you get a, you get a doctorate. So that would be medicine, dentistry, but also includes optometry, pharmacy, veterinary, some of the rehabilitation sciences. So occupational therapy, audiology, and physical therapy. And I'm probably forgetting one. There's eight total communities that SDN has overall. And those have been something that we've had for quite quite a long time. So as far as what we choose to offer, as far as resources, it really depends. I would say, obviously our biggest community and what we're best known for is the medical community. It's the the pre-meds, pre-DO, pre-MD. Outside of that, other communities that are quite large are dentistry, pharmacy is pretty big as well. So we, we basically look at all of the different communities that we have and we try to make sure that we are providing resources for as many of them as possible. And we're trying to expand our offerings for some of those different professions that aren't necessarily the MD, the DO pathways. So that's, that's driven some of it, but we do definitely, you know, it's, it's a balancing act between 
providing more stuff for the MD folks or the pre-meds and then providing additional resources for the other folks as well. And one thing I've always been kind of curious about is like how much lateral transfer is there between these professions? And also, you know, say you apply to med school. I think the last I saw like 55,000 people apply to med school. There's 25,000 spots, but please correct me if I'm wrong. What do the 30,000 people who don't get in in the U.S. med school environment do, right? Many of them will reapply. Many of them will go work in a lab. But do you have any any sense, like do some of them say, no, I'm not going to become a doctor anymore. I'm going to go into nursing or, or things like that. How do you how do you guys view that? You know, you do see a number of folks who will go back and try and reapply again. They'll look at their application, see where they need to improve and, and are able to do a successful reapplication cycle later. Some folks do end up moving from medicine into, you know, doctoral level professions. So like a podiatry, you know, they use the MCAT as well. That's one place folks move to. Dentistry is fairly similar as far as the competitiveness, I believe. So that that one, you don't really see as much. I think it's a little bit different personality type as well. But you do see some folks who look at other things, psychology, you know, moving into a graduate psychology program, if they were potentially interested in like a psychiatry area. So you do see some of that. And then you also just see some folks who move on and, and end up getting jobs in other areas and, and, you know, leading productive and healthy lives and just wasn't their fate or their pathway to go to become a physician. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd be very curious what the stats are around that, but it is definitely something that I think as the applications go up, but number of seats available don't keep up, more and more people have to face. I know we're coming up in time, so I have two other questions for you. The first is, what are some of the lasting changes you think will happen to the healthcare and or healthcare education system as a result of COVID? That's a really good question. I think when you have a major disruption like this, you have the opportunity to make changes. And obviously, you know, when it really makes sure we re-examine kind of the status quo, like what the status quo was and how things are different. And I think it will be really interesting. And what I would recommend that people should do is take a look at what changes have occurred because of COVID that we should consider keeping. You know, for example, one of the big costs for applications is the interview process. You know, you have to spend hundreds of dollars to fly somewhere, to, you know, stay overnight and do all that travel. Well, obviously, Zoom interviews are not the same. It's not quite the same as seeing somebody in person and and interacting with them one-on-one. Is that something that will allow more students of lesser means to be able to get into school because they can say, okay, I don't have to say I can't take this interview because I can't afford to go stay in New York City, you know, overnight. Is that something that's going to potentially be a thing that can more democratize things or will it have the opposite effect? I think it's, I think it'll be really interesting, like I said, to take a look at that class of 2025 and figure out if the folks who are being admitted are kind of more of the same, you know, more folks who are, you know, the 20% from the top 5% of income in the United States, or are we seeing a, a more diverse group that has been able to make it through the admissions process? So I think that's interesting. I think from a healthcare perspective overall, you know, we'll probably see a lot more remote healthcare. You know, I, I've had a couple of like phone doctor appointments and it was just fine. You know, it, it wasn't, 
it was effective. So obviously there's still a need for in-person healthcare, but will we see more remote healthcare that taking off and, and doing more of that type of healthcare? And students will need to become comfortable with that, you know, become comfortable with the idea of using these types of technologies in order to deliver healthcare and, and using new things and, and new ways of approaching healthcare and, and seeing how that can be integrated to provide a better health outcome for a larger group of people. So I, I think it'll be really interesting and, and that I would encourage everyone who is out there to, to take a look at what's changed because of this and what do you want to take with you and what, what should we take into the future with it? That's great. And you actually kind of preempted the advice question I was going to ask, but clearly one piece of advice you want to give to our listeners is to, to look at where the changes are and how they should adapt to those. So what other you know advice would you give to current or future healthcare professionals? I mean, it's kind of interesting asking the person who runs SDN, which is, you know, has literally answered, given advice to millions of people over the years. But what is your advice to our listeners about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? I would say that students should try and retain the flexibility they've had to, to have to be successful during these times of COVID and keep that with them as they move forward. The future is not going to stop having changes and challenges and things rolling at you. And the more you can kind of roll with the changes and be flexible, the more successful you're going to be in your medical career, your healthcare career. That's excellent advice. I mean, my mom always used to tell me that change is the only thing constant. And, and clearly that's something that uh, rings true this year, especially. So yeah. with that, Laura, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today and all the work you do for both Student Doctor Network and HIPSA. Great. Well, thank you again for having me and, and for giving me the opportunity to talk about HIPSA and Student Doctor Network. I'm, I'm obviously real passionate about it. So I can uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to share all the work that we're doing. Likewise, and, and you know, we have a lot of alignment between our two organizations, so thank you again. And with that, I'm Shivulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.